Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, May 21st, 2020. I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. As we mentioned in yesterday's show, I am flying solo today because the rest of the world is currently watching the Bombshell concert, including Mr. Matt Tamanini, and I think I remain the only person in the theater community who has for whatever reason yet to see Smash, though I do know every word to don't say yes until I finish talking, so that has to count for something. It's on my list, I will get to it, I swear, and then eventually I'll watch the concert and talk about it years late, like everybody else. But it's Smash, so everyone is still talking about it years later. I'm sure Matt will have some things to say about the concert tomorrow, though, when he's back. But for now, I am here with the news, and then the second half of this episode, Matt sat down with Jeffrey A. Johns about his movie Still Waiting in the Wings, a sequel to his film Waiting in the Wings, which features Cheetah Rivera, Nick Adams, Seth Rudetsky, Carol Cook, Sally Struthers, and more. It's available now wherever you can get movies, so stay tuned to listen to that interview. Also, a reminder to head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon to back us if you haven't already, and most importantly, are able to do so. Your support means the world to us right now and always. All right, I want to start the news today with a couple of sadder COVID-19 related updates so we can talk about the good news we got on Wednesday. Let's start across the pond in London, where the National Theatre announced what we already expected, and that is that it will be canceling its previously planned July and August performances. The National Theatre building will be closed to the public until August 31st as part of the continued shutdown in the UK, which as of now is dated until June 28th. As of now, the productions at the National that have been postponed include Manor, Jack Absolute Flies Again, Paradise, The Corn is Green, Welcome to Iran, and Romeo and Julie. The next scheduled production will be Small Island, which is scheduled to begin performances on October 28th if the National is up by then, which unfortunately doesn't seem likely. The other bit of COVID-related news we had on Wednesday takes us back home where Amanda Klutz has provided the most recent update on Nick Cordero's condition. Last we reported, Nick had woken up from his medically-induced coma, but unfortunately on Wednesday in her Instagram story, Amanda told viewers that Nick's condition has worsened and that things are going, quote, a little downhill at the moment. We don't really know a lot more than that at the moment, though she did share on Tuesday night that his right lung is looking better and had been clear for two days, but the infection in his left lung is still causing issues. We will, of course, continue to bring you the updates on Nick's condition as we have them, but prayers, healing thoughts, whatever your thing is, please send them Nick's way. All right, let's move on to some less painful news and talk about Wednesday's biggest story. As we've already discussed, in lieu of a Tony Awards broadcast this year, at least temporarily, CBS will be airing a sing-along broadcast of Grease during the June 7th time slot. But online, there will be not one, but two Tony's celebration live streaming events. The first will air on streaming platform Broadway On Demand and TonyAwards.com with support from the American Theatre Wing and the Broadway League. That will be at 6 p.m. on June 7th and will be directed by Broadway vet Lonnie Price and written by several Broadway writers, including Carrie Kirkpatrick, Steve Rosen, Dave Rosmer, Kate Weatherhead, and Lauren Yee. 
The second name show of shows, not that one, will air at 7 p.m. on Broadway.com and its YouTube channel and will be directed by Livestream Go-To Director and Broadway.com Editor-in-Chief Paul Wontorek, with Charlie Rosen serving as music supervisor, producer, and orchestrator. Further details for that event will be announced at a later date. According to a spokesperson for the Tony Awards, the events are not intended to replace the 2019-2020 ceremony, which remains postponed indefinitely through the crisis. They will, though, serve as fundraisers for the American Theatre Wing's education and professional development initiatives and for the Broadway League Foundation's program to train young artists around the country. Says Broadway League President Charlotte St. Martin, quote, In these uncertain times, Helping the next generation of artists flourish is the best way I can think of to remain optimistic about the future of Broadway. I think Matt and I will be talking a bit more in depth about the Tonys for tomorrow's show, so we'll get into that a bit more then. But between the ire for the Grease sing-along and just the rightful dismay over how the telecast or lack thereof has been handled so far... This, to me, seems like a really good holdover, at least, though I'm currently a little confused with the timing of the events and if they're going to be running concurrently after that first hour. Again, this isn't meant to be a replacement for the Tonys, and we still don't know when this year's Tonys will be. But as we've called for many times, if they're going to have anything for award shows this year, it feels most appropriate for them to be doing more like celebrations than anything else. And that's exactly what both of these seem to be doing. A couple of other quick news items for you. On Wednesday, YouTube channel The Shows Must Go On, which had been bringing its weekly Andrew Lloyd Webber programming and live commentary up until the series' conclusion last Friday, has announced that it will be branching out into new programming, and the first up in its schedule will be NBC's The Sound of Music Live. The special originally broadcast on the network in December 2013 and stars Carrie Underwood, Stephen Moyer, Audra McDonald, Laura Benanti, Christian Borrell, and Sophia Ann Caruso, among others. The broadcast will stream this Friday, May 21st at 2 p.m. Eastern, and the recording will be accessible for 48 hours after. And finally, some wonderful news coming out of Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, who has sent $5 million from its COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund to the Actors Fund to help ensure that those who work in theater and the performing arts will receive financial support. That is reportedly nearly half of what the Actors Fund has awarded in the past two months to over 9,300 entertainment professionals, providing living expenses, medications, housing, food, and utilities during the COVID-19 pandemic. Broadway Cares Emergency Assistance Fund will, of course, continue to accept donations at broadwaycares.org and has a new goal of raising $6 million. Just absolutely amazing work, as always, from both organizations and funds. A massive thank you to everyone who has donated and continues to donate. If you are able, of course, head over to broadwaycares.org. A couple of recommendations real quick, one to read and one to watch. The first actually came out on Tuesday, and it's from the Los Angeles Times, where Charles McNulty gathered and compiled responses from 25 theater professionals on what their dreams for the future of theater are. That includes everyone from Michael Cerverus, the very pragmatic Patti Lapone, who mostly just talked about the cleanliness backstage, Michael R. Jackson, Lynn Nottage, Julia Cho, and more. 
It's a really interesting read because it covers really everything from economic inequality, both in pay practices as well as like ticket gouging, accessibility, the content that gets produced, and much more. I know this is something Matt and I will probably talk about more in depth soon, more than we already have. Not necessarily this specific article, but generally and parochially what we see is the future of theater and the changes that need to be made. But please read from all of these people who are in the thick of it. And then the other recommendation, Playbill shared a pre-recorded segment during the Tanks virtual gala that was held on May 19th, where the cast, musicians, and creative team of Hadestown, including, including Anais Mitchell and Rachel Chavkin, all got together in their respective homes and performed the Road to Hell reprise. Any video of that cast performing together just makes me tear up every time, and this is no exception. So head over to Playbill, link is in the show notes, and give that a watch. All right, that is all we have for you on this Thursday. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway, and stay tuned through the rest of the episode to hear Matt's interview with Jeffrey about Still Waiting in the Wings. If you are willing and able, head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio or broadwayradio.com slash patreon to back us if you haven't already. Or head over to your podcasting platform of choice and or Facebook to show us some love in the form of a review. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NoThisIsAshley. Have a happy and safe Thursday, everybody, and we will be back to talk with you tomorrow. Move a little to your left. What's this video audition for, anyway? It's to get a singing waiter gig down at Cafe Broadway with Rita. So just sit back, relax, and while serving smiles while we sing. A few months ago, I was starring in an off-Broadway show. <laughs> Now I'm slinging hash off Broadway. This new guy Bradley and I are like kindred spirits. A person's a person, no matter how small. Tuesday the musical, Aaron's and Flaherty. Open November 30th, 2000. <gasps> He's good. They stole my solo. Solo stolen. Rosie wanted to turn it into a group number, but I knew how much it meant to you, so I begged her to let me save it with some simple harmony. I'm gonna have to start drug testing these kids. I didn't feel to win a Tony Award. Uh, I feel more talented just by touching it. Show business is rough. It's a doggy dog world out there. If you want your dreams, you have to fight for them. You have to fight for you. Stand up, piss, do, or is die. Will we rise to the challenge or let it slip by? Stand up, go big and aim high. Will we follow our rainbow or fall from the sky? Nothing like live theater. Live theater? Oh, no, no, honey. We get paid. Good, Matt. How are you today? Good. I'm so sorry for calling the other day, two days before I was supposed to. I had it in my calendar wrong. I felt like a moron once I figured it out. So. Oh, no, no worries. You know, the sad thing is I've been up at 5 a.m. every morning because oh. I have a two-year-old nephew. I was just not by the phone because I was probably, I don't know, getting massive Cheerios or whatever he was needing at the time. This <laughs> I become Jeffrey Poppins in the last, <laughs> in the last two months. So uh, I just wasn't near the phone. So I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm sorry. So sorry, I didn't even pick up. But no worries, you did not wake me. Okay, good. Because <laughs> you're in California, right? I am. Yeah. All right, because I was worried that I had called at like 9 a.m. and you were, you know, had just gotten to bed at you know three or something. So I can I'm... see how that would be most normal people, but <laughs> with a two-year-old and a ten-month-old that oh. I have. 
because my brother and sister-in-law still have to work, yeah. but their daycare was canceled and I was laid off. I'm like, oh no, oh no, I see where this is going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I am like a, I'm, I'm an early bird now, which I never was. <laughs> Right, yeah. Most performers and theater people are are night owls, and they wake up at noon on a good day. And I was calling early. So, how big of a change has that been for you, readjusting your life into dealing with two kids that are, you know, affectionately ankle biter age? Yeah, you know, I think it. I I love them. I love being around them. Uh, you know, it was kind of instantly. One day I was at work. The very next day, everything changed, and I was I was getting up at five a.m. Uh, to get some of my stuff done, especially with the movie release. And then by, by seven, they're always up and then getting breakfast. And now I'm an expert at Candyland. We're working on potty training, (laughs) learning letters, uh, just trying to keep the 10 month old amused, you know? Um, So it, it has been challenging. You know, I have my degree in elementary education and performance. So I guess it's time to use the elementary education side. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So is that really the first time that you've had to do anything like that since you graduated? Well, I did a lot of, my goal was to go into children's entertainment and I did do stuff like Sesame Street. I toured with them and I love, I love that. I wrote a children's book. Mm -hmm. So I really was into children's entertainment. Um, I'd never, I did my student teaching and stuff, but I've never really jumped into the classroom yet. Um, I have done things like theater programs for kids, things like that. Um, But I've never actually really worked with two kids so hands-on and at that young age, that age I'm not usually with. Um, But it's been, it's been challenging. I've learned a lot. (laughs) That's for sure. I never, (laughs) never knew I'd be an expert at changing diapers while playing Candyland at the same time, but I have mastered that now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> one hand on the on the game pieces, one game, one hand on the diaper. Very good. That's oh, right. <laughs> well, you mentioned um, uh, the movie being released in the middle of a pandemic, which I would imagine is generally better for films, you know, on demand type stuff. But I mean, it almost seems like this was. I hesitate to say perfectly timed because of what the real world implications are, but it seems like if people are in need or they have a, a, a craving for theatrical content, like this is a perfect time for the film to be released. Yeah, believe it or not, I the film should have been released about a year ago. I The film was all set. The film was just starting the film festival circuit and my house burned to the ground with all master files. Oh my God. Um, so it was a huge step back for us. And I didn't have insurance. I was, didn't have any rental insurance. So I lost everything. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a movie. Everything was gone. Um, we took us two weeks to figure out if we even had all the pieces and hard drives at other people's houses, um, which luckily we did because I had three master files at my house temporarily. We had just been to one film festival, we won Best Feature Film. And we were all like, yeah, this is great. The editor sent his drive back. The colorist sent his drive back. So I had all these drives at my house waiting outside my bedroom door for like three days where I was calling and saying, hey, can I drop a master file off to you? In that three-day period, the house burned to the ground. My God. So, um, so after two weeks, we found all the pieces of the movie. So we were happy we could reassemble it. But that was a time-consuming process, a financially-consuming sure. process while I was trying to rebuild my own life. So we finally got it up and running a bit. And so finally we were ready to release the movie. And then this is all happening. And I was like, no, we've got to postpone it again. 
And I was encouraged. Now I released that people need this kind of content right now. They need a happy movie. They need musicals. There's no theater at all in this country. And this is a theater film. This is a musical. We can't see new musicals right now. This is one of the only chances to see one. Uh, so I decided to go ahead and continue with the release as planned. Um, and I hope it does bring people smiles and laughter in a time we really need it. And a new musical, you know, I'm dying for new musical content myself. You know, anytime I can see anything new musical theater, I will, because even though I'm not in New York right now, I'm always looking for new theater. I'm always looking to go to local theaters, see shows I know. It's really hard for us theater geeks like myself who are like, I need theater. <laughs> so hopefully that Absolutely. gives people a little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into a little bit um, about the film itself, because this is a sequel. So this isn't the first time you've done a a musical film. Can you tell us like the journey of not only the, the two films, but the, you know, what they're about, the character arc, what are we getting in from a new musical, either this film, if they're just getting this one or from the pair of films? Well, I first like to say um, they are, this is a sequel to our first film but not in the way that you need to see the first film to see the second one. I was very adamant about making sure this movie stood alone. Yes, it has the same characters, but the only thing you need to go in to the second movie knowing is these are struggling actors trying to get a big Broadway break. Um, so what I've learned, the character arc really is about how far do you push for a dream? Uh, you know, is there an expiration date on our dreams? You know, I think a lot of people, especially in the theater industry here, if you don't make it by this point, you're done. And I think this is a this is a film that really looks at it a different way. Um, but also, aside from that that good message, I think there's the message that there are people trying to tear you down and tear you apart and step all over you on your way. And how much of that will you put up with? And how do you keep picking yourself up and moving forward um, in a very comical way? So. In the in the film, you play a <laughs> a waiter at one of those Times Square singing um, uh, establishments. Is that something that you have real life experience with? You know, I don't. It was something I always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be a singing waiter. I <laughs> I remember going to dinner theater. My very first theater experience, professional theater experience, was when I was in the middle school, and we were taken to a dinner theater in Washington, D.C. It was a big deal. We went on this big trip down to Washington from Connecticut, where I'm from, and we saw seven brides for seven brothers, and the wait staff <laughs> were the actors. Oh. And that was my first professional theater experience. So I think there's that, that element of magic for me, because that's the moment I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, so I think that that's where that kind of came from. And so, like you said, a lot of the, the, the film is about actors trying to get their their big break is the film kind of autobiographical even if not at the main stories but a lot of the same experiences that you had um i would say in the first movie there were a lot of similar experiences the second movie was completely just fun and maybe theater lore you know you always hear about oh my gosh you wouldn't believe when this person did this you know all dressing room gossip kind of created some characters um and i think that was really just much more fun and i'm like i want to film for musical theater people, about musical theater people, and not necessarily the successful ones, but the struggling ones and what they're doing to get ahead. And I think that's where it really came from. And so many, you know, there's there's so many movies and musicals and movie musicals about theater, and so many of them are, are about 
the journey, the up and coming stuff. Very rarely do we see uh, very many musicals about like the big theater stars. We usually see them about the people who are grinding and going through the process and becoming big during it. So this that this kind of seems to fit into that uh, that tradition of of both musicals and m- movie musicals as well. Yeah, well, I think. I think maybe we see a lot of it because that's where 99% of the actors are. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you look at how many actors are actually established, they, we know who they are. I, so few, because I think we forget, you know, you may say, well, in New York, but let's not, let's move this past New York, move it to the entire country. There's people who want to be stars in Montana and Iowa, you know, all over the country. Um, so I think, you know, this story, uh, primarily started with this one guy who was living in Montana and got an opportunity to head to New York. Um, so he has new, his very Montana dreams. He has, you know, like, this is my dream, but he doesn't really know what New York is. He doesn't really know what it is until he's engulfed in this experience. So while a lot of people are not thrilled with being singing waiters in Times Square because they want to be on Broadway, this kid is like, oh my gosh, I get to sing in New York City. This is amazing because I think we have different perspective on what these jobs mean to us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you talk about there's a you know there's only a certain number of uh, actors and performers who are established, but you have a, a number of fairly recognizable names and faces that make appearances uh, in the film, especially from the theater folks with. Nick Adams and Ed Asner and Carol Cook and Cheetah Rivera and Seth Rodetsky and Sally Struthers and many others. How did you go about, you know, collecting this ensemble of folks to make special appearances, not only in this film, but in the first one as well? Well, I think the first film was, of course, the hardest because I had never written or produced or made a film. So I think they really have to trust in you and your project and that it will get done and that they will look good. So I think the first one is definitely more challenging. Now that I had a movie that had already been established and had done very well, um, I think it was a little bit easier bringing in some of the names. For example, Ed Asner had seen the first film at a festival. Oh, wow. Um, and so he was very easy to come on board because um, he he was a fan of the, the first film. He wants to help young filmmakers uh, when he sees great projects. So that was really, I was very fortunate for that. And I could show people what we had done in the past. So I think that makes it easier. It doesn't make it easy because, you know, Cheetah Rivera locking in someone as iconic as her is always a challenge. In fact, we tried to get her for the first film. Uh, she denied me several times for the second film. I think it took about seven tries before <laughs> she just said, let's do this. Well, well, uh, so okay. I was very persistent. What What was the thing? Was it just that you were just wear her down or was there something that you tried on that seventh <laughs> trick? What, did, what, what got her? Um, I, I mean, I think she's always liked the idea of the film. I think she always enjoyed the script. I think we had to kind of shift locations. For example, we were filming in Los Angeles. I had to come to New York to her uh, to film in New York. Um, so it was, it was things like that. Uh, when could we do it? Uh, work around her schedule. Uh, and and that, was, that was kind of it. And we, you know, adjusting the script, trying to make it really catered to her as much as we could. Um, you know, and really meet her needs. Um, I think that was it. You know, I think also it's catching them when they have a moment. Some yeah. actors in my film are very, very busy. You know, we had to shift our screening, uh, our filming date for Sally Struthers. She was filming Gilmore Girls at one point, and oh, we had right. to um, we had to make 
we filmed her on Valentine's Day because they were off for Gilmore Girls, and that was the only day she could definitely give us. Wow. So we filmed her apart from the rest of the the shoot, you know. So I think you have to be willing to adjust things for for your celebrity appearances. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like you said, I know folks like Cheetah Rivera, who not only are working on stage and screen, but she's got the concerts and all those things that you have to kind of really coordinate schedules. And it is uh, in a lot of situations trying to nail down these bigger stars. It is just kind of the luck of the calendar draw and just to see if there are open dates that are even possible on both sides. Well, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, Cheetah Rivera's scene was filmed. The whole film had been edited before we even filmed Cheetah Rivera. Oh, God. So I think we filmed <laughs> Cheetah Rivera probably five months later after after the primary shooting. So, yeah. So I think, you know, I think I people think I'm a little bit too risky. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'll work it out. I'll work it out. Don't worry. We'll go back to that scene. Um, but I, I love taking that challenge to get these these appearances that I think bring so much heart and so much excitement to the picture. Well, I think they're true to life, too, because like you living and working in the theater industry in New York where this is set, like you have these brushes with stars and you have this, you know, these elements of gravitas that just seem to be fleeting and they come into your life in the oddest and weirdest moments. And you might not even recognize them as being that important at the time. But, you know, that's to me, that's what living and working in the New York theater scene is is like. You just have all of a sudden, boom, there's Cheetah Rivera walking down the street with you or something. You're in a rehearsal room with her out of, out of nowhere. Like, that seems very real to me. I, I think it's also those moments, and you can second this, that you get that second inspiration. You know, I think as actors, yeah. especially, we get knocked down a lot. But what keeps us going is those brushes with that excitement. Um, like meeting Cheetah Rivera, suddenly I can go to 20 more auditions, very focused, because I had this amazing encounter with someone I had admired uh, for years. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, the film is now available on DVD and digital platforms everywhere. Is the first film uh, also available in those same places? Yeah, they are both available um, on most all digital platforms on our website. Um, so, you know, your Amazon, iTunes, uh, Google Play, they're, they're available in all those places. So have a whole musical evening. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, like, people are still locked in looking for content. Like, this seems like a great binge to, you know, to sit down for a couple hours in, and watch both of them back to back. But the question is, in films, it's very rare. You don't just do one or two. You got to complete the trilogy. Have you started thinking about uh, a third one on the back end? Well, actually, I have, based on how this does, we have a few things going on right now with my production company. Um, I would love to make the final one be a Christmas musical because <laughs> I'm telling you, nothing makes me happier than musicals. And Christmas musical, you've just reached the top for me. Um, I yeah. just think there's something magical about Christmas tales and musicals. Um, I'm just picturing the beautiful gowns and the snow. <laughs> so awesome. I would love to do a, a Christmas uh, musical eventually. Um, but the next big thing is my first film, Waiting in the Wings, is getting ready for its world premiere stage adaptation. Oh, so really? I kind of went reverse. I did movie, and everyone kept saying, you need to write, uh, you need to put this into stage format. Jeffrey, this needs to be a stage show. And, of course, I was hearing that at festivals, but I didn't really, I wasn't very proactive. And then my house 
burned down and I realized I <laughs> couldn't do movies right now. I, I had to really focus on trying to rebuild this movie. What could I do creatively? Um, and I said, I'm going to start writing this stage show and it's just been picked oh up. We were supposed to premiere in April, which obviously didn't happen, yeah. um, but it has now been pushed. It has not been canceled. We are premiering in California in um, September at this point. We're tentatively set for September uh, to world premiere, do like a three week run. And then we're going to hopefully prep the show for an off Broadway run. So that would be the goal. That's amazing. Where, uh, where in uh, California is it going to be? It's in Orange County, which is uh, just below L.A. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to have its premieres down there. It's a 400-seat theater, so we're already aware we may do reduced capacity seating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I'm lucky that it's not a 100-seat theater. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I'm really excited about that because it's going to incorporate music from both shows. And it's just really neat because my love is, is theater. I think I'm in L.A., so making a movie was the way to go, and I love it. I can get it special appearances and I love what we can do with camera angles, but my heart and soul is always going to be the musical theater arena. So to see it up on its feet as a stage show, is going to be exciting and it's fun to revisit a script that you worked on so long ago to heighten it, bring new characters, bring new life to, to something. So they're not a carbon copy of one another. I, I hate that. <laughs> well, yeah. And as I was going to say, like, cause you mentioned the fact that there'll be music from both of the films in this one. So is it mostly the same story as waiting in the wings or is it a combination of the two or how did you kind of piecemeal those two together? Um, the stage show is based on only the first movie. Um, it really is. But there were certain elements and certain songs. I'm like, I want to redo this song a bit and, put it here and it readjusts. I think a big thing about um, me is I love when a song works and the song has magic, I feel it add new lyrics, add new life to it in one way and it will perfectly suit another situation. Um, or mm -hmm. a song that came up, I'm like, ah, oh, this is exactly the message I want in the stage show. Why don't we now move this here and do this? And it was just kind of uh, moving it a bit. There was uh, one of the songs we were trying to get, because most of our music is completely original. We do have a few songs that pre-existed um, and we kind of put into the show. Gotcha. Some of our songwriters had some, a few songs that were not written for our show, but worked beautifully. So now when we do the stage show, I tried to get one of them in the movie the first place. And they said, no, 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 no. But after they saw the movie, they said, if you want to use it for the sequel, you can. So I put it right back where it belonged, <laughs> where I wanted it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's almost, you get a, you get a do over, you get a second crack at it. That's awesome. Yeah. This is my, this is my second chance. At, and, and I also think certainly we develop characters more in the stage show. I think in the movies, uh, in the first movie, we developed them to a point, but we also had to keep it a very strict timeline. Um, you know, as opposed to the musical, we can go a little bit longer. I also think we can use songs to develop the characters a little bit better on stage. Um, it's harder, I think, in a movie for someone to just walk down the street singing about their feelings and the audience believing it, um, where I think on stage, that's just very natural. So I think we were able to really add some plot-moving songs that develop the characters a lot on stage, that in the movie we did a lot more with dialogue, um, so I think it's, it's, it's kind of nice that we find this nice balance. That's awesome. Well, hopefully in the very near future, hopefully this year or next year, folks can 
watch the movies and the stage show to make it a really nice long binge. Maybe do a a sandwiching of the uh, of the stage show because that seems like that'd be a a perfect way to spend a, a day for all musical theater lovers. I you know I I feel any day with musicals makes me happy. Yeah. And you know I think I think for me uh, this this show is lighthearted. This is fun. I think it it is silly. Um, it's kind of a what I love about it is it's very new age with a lot of the content, but it has a lot of old school flair with the music, um, you know, maybe new arrangements and new arrangement styles, but it's that old feel of being able to leave the movie singing these tunes. You know, I love a lot of new contemporary musicals. Uh, however, I have to rush, rush out and get the cast album if I want to sing along because I don't remember the tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where I, I think this is kind of like you have your old school tunes, like your Oh, What a Beautiful Morning feel, where you like you can walk out humming. You may not know the words, but you can hum a tune. And I think that this has very hummable, memorable music in that way. And I, I love that. I, I love that it kind of grabs both genres, both the new age and the, and the classic format. That's awesome. Well, uh, Jeffrey, I, good luck not only with the film but with your niece and nephew. Uh, I know that it's going. <laughs> however, especially in California, where this shutdown and lockdown might go on longer than most other places in the country, but uh, I wish you the best and uh, very excited about uh, these films being available and hopefully people finding uh, some new musical theater content to uh, to watch during the quarantine. I think this is wonderful and uh, uh, hopefully a lot of people will be able to enjoy them. Uh, over however long that they're locked down in home and sitting on their couch. You know, if it brings smiles to people right now, the mission of the movie has been completely achieved, yeah. and I couldn't be more thrilled. Yeah.